Today's Bible study is called The Distraction of Success. The Distraction of Success. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand what you would say to us, what you want us to know today. And we need you, and I thank you that your word is so clear and wonderful for us. Amen. So we are going to be in Ecclesiastes, um, the second part of chapter 5, and all of chapter 6 we're going to complete today. So last week, we learned that God makes himself available to us in his church, in his house or church, and uh, he longs to meet with us here. So You know, when you come in here, it's not about you. It's not about all the weird people that you see. It's not about all the crazy people that you may meet. It is about God wanting to talk to you. And pop quiz, is it about what you have to do for him or about what he does for you? What? What he does for us. Thank you. Yes, you were wrong. Minus 25 Jesus points for you. Just kidding. I'm not keeping track. (laughs) No, that's a joke. Okay. It is not about, church is not about what you have to do for God, or are you looking good, are you putting cool fancy clothes on, or anything like that, or impressing God, or earning his favor, or his love. It is all about how much he loves you, and what he has done for you. And we need to gather every week to remember that, because we forget. The world is constantly chirping at us saying, you are lame, you are bad, you have failed, and God has a different message for us. He says, those things might be true, but my son has not failed. My son has done more for you than you could ever imagine. So today, we move... um, our, our teacher, Solomon, he takes us outside the church door. So imagine we all just go right outside these doors and we look out upon the world. And um, why is he going to do that? Because we need to answer this question, how do I connect with God when I get out there? When I, I, I'm starting to understand I can connect with God here in church, but how do I get God into my everyday life? So sometimes churches are like, you know what? It's really hard to do that. So we're going to have church every single day. We're going to have a Bible study Mondays. We're going to have worship Tuesdays. We're going to have communion Wednesdays, prayer meeting Thursdays, leadership meeting Fridays, and church again on Saturdays, and church again on Sundays. And back in the day, we called those places monasteries, where they would just go away from the world, they would get their own little kingdom that they would build, and they would stay, they would say, the world is too dirty for us to, we don't want to get stained by the dirt of the world, so we're going to move to Utah and name everything Bible names. So, Mormon joke, sorry. That was a good one, I I like that one. You like that one too? All right, good job. Um... So, so, but that's not the way to live life. God says, I want you to come meet with me, and then I want you to go out into the world. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, going out into the world. How do I get God? It seems like God is, is kind of silent or distant when I'm doing laundry or doing dishes or when I'm at work or when I'm playing. So how do I change that? 
I think that God wants to be involved in my life. But guess what? In my life, bad things are going to still happen. So the church doesn't make bad things go away in your life. Your problems will still be waiting for you when you arrive at your doorstep or maybe even in your car ride home. Your problems are, maybe you're still getting texts about your problems right now. I have no idea. So in the rest of chapters 5 and 6 and 7 here in Ecclesiastes, our regional manager is going to look out at the world, and he is going to interrogate what is going on. Specifically, what is there in this world that is going to distract us from our true meaning and our true purpose? That's right. You have a real meaning and a true purpose for your life. Did you know that? Even in this crazy world, even in this messed up world, even in this painful world, and this world that is going to hurt you, you have a meaning and a purpose. And that purpose, pop quiz, here's the answer to all your pop quizzes later, because you know I love to give pop quizzes. The purpose, the answer for your life, the purpose for your life is to be kept occupied with God. To be filled with his fullness, to know him experientially, to really know him as a friend. To connect with him, to enjoy him, to trust him, to receive mercy and grace from him. This is the highest and greatest purpose And the only thing that will ever bring you true, lasting peace in your life. Otherwise, there will be a lot of striving. There will be a lot of working hard to try to find your fulfillment. And God will be waiting, saying, I was right here all along, waiting for you. But the world has some distractions. And it's going to try its best to get God's people away from their purpose, which is knowing him, walking with him, all those things that I talked about, just basically a relationship with God, a real relationship with God. So there's money. All right, we're going to be hitting on that one a bit today. Success, you could also equal money. So that's a big distraction. Traditions is another one Solomon's going to talk about. We're not going to deal with that one today. Relational damage, we're going to talk about that one another time. And politics, which we're going to talk about another time. So those are what Solomon is going to identify in these three chapters as distractions. By the way, speaking of distractions, if I had a dollar for every time I got distracted, I wish I had some ice cream right now. <laughs> Hopefully, guys, friends, We have gained a taste for God's presence by being in church. Then we will continue to long for him out in this broken world. And what we're going to see in these three chapters is that God promises to be there. Out in this world. Out in the brokenness and out in the pain and out in the monotony and the boring job that you have and the broken marriage, and the difficult things. God says, I'll be there too. But 
We have to get past the distraction, the noise, to be able to meet with him. So the first point that I'm going to make today is that there is no immunity for believers, for all the pain that is in this world. You have no immunity. Just because you come to church does not mean you're not going to feel that pain or experience death. There will be joy, but also sorrow as well, and it will visit us all. But this isn't bad. Um, It gives us a voice, actually, into the lives of our fellow neighbors and sufferers who are going through these things also. You might think, why do I have to go through this pain? And then later, God opens your eyes to the fact that your neighbor has been going through the same thing. And they could really use a friend. They could really use someone who knows by experience what they've gone through. And then you turn to God and say, oh, sorry. Yeah, you knew what you were doing the whole time. And, and he says, yes, child, I, I know that that was painful. But see, I, I have a plan. I always have a plan. And I want to use you and I want to bless you. And I, and I want to use you to bless the people that are around you that also need me. And I also love them. So we don't have an immunity, um, but we can say something like this. I've tasted and seen that the world is bad. But then we go out into that world and we say, I've also tasted and seen that God is good. And that's how we can deal with that. The only difference uh, is that God's people can enjoy him at all times. Okay? The only difference between a believer and someone who doesn't know God or walk with him in the pain of this world, we're all going to experience the pain, we're all going to experience the bad, is that we get something that we get God with us. We get his promise that he abides with us, that He, his presence is with us, and we can enjoy him in even our worst times. We can claim his peace and his mercy and his grace because they do belong to us. Not because of anything we've done, right? but because of grace. He didn't deserve it, but he gave it to us. So the first distraction we're going to look at today is money. Um, Jesus, so we're going to fast forward a little bit. Jesus was super clear in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, when he said, now he who received seed, or he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So money is a huge distraction for us. But this comes in many forms. So we're going to look at the first one. The first is that we can see the poor people being oppressed, or we might be poor and we might be being oppressed. And that's what, so we're backing up to Solomon now, and we're going to talk about how money can cause problems when you look out in the world and you're just, you can get distracted away from your relationship with God by looking at these things. So let's see what, what these things are. It says in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high officials watched over high officials, and higher officials watch over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, and even the king is served from the field. So what we see here is the economy of the world. There's always someone pushing for greater revenue, for more efficient business, and 
it's always pushing down the people at the bottom and getting more profit out of them. And Solomon says, that can be distracting. He says, we don't have to marvel at it. We shouldn't be amazed at that situation or shocked that it exists, or we will be distracted by it. In other words, he's saying, there's always going to be poor people, and it is not fair. It's not fair. We need to know that this is real, and it exists, but we can deal with it when we know it's real. We don't have to be distracted by it. Um, he says, then, uh, then the next thing we're going to look at is that we will see people obsessed with money. And this is really the heart of this distraction of money is when we get obsessed with money. So verse 10, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase to uh, who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Let me summarize that by saying, mo money, mo profits. That's what he says. That's all those words summarized with a gangster. Okay. This is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for the owner to his hurt, but those riches perish through misfortune. What he's talking about there is people who get unlucky in business. They work really hard, and then someone steals all their retirement or something. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil, just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he shall eat, he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Wow. Okay, so that's describing emptiness, emptiness of people who care a lot about money. That's what a focus on money will leave you. Empty, Solomon says. Uh, it also will make you, he says, sorrow, sick, and angry. Has anyone ever met anyone like that? They were so con consumed with success and money that they were a jerk? Wow, I've met lots of people like that. Solomon knew what he was talking about 4,000 years ago. And he's saying this, that the reason it's stupid to really, uh, you know, focus on money is because it can all vanish in a moment. It probably will. And you're going to be empty. You're going to be empty because you missed out on what life was really about. So here's the main lesson sandwiched in the middle of various distractions. So this next three verses we're going to read is the main lesson sandwiched between the middle of, of various distractions, as we're going to see. Um, by the way, do you know where to get an Indian sandwich? In New Delhi. That's a good one. Sandwiches come from delis. Anyway, thank you. I was waiting for the boot. I don't know if you guys are awake unless I get booed, right? 
<laughs> All right, he goes on here to the next distraction. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for, oh no, this isn't the distraction. This is the main lesson. Forgive me, sorry. Forget the last 10 seconds. The main lesson of all these distractions is right here. Here's what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him. Those are three important words. For it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage, and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly all the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Now, so how do I avoid the distraction of money? This is the answer to the pop quiz. How do I avoid the distraction of money? realize everything was given by God. Your job was given by God. That's how to not be distracted by money and success. Now, does this mean you can never get another job? You can never change your profession? No, you can. God could give you a different job. But understand that where you're at today, where we're not dealing with tomorrow, we're not dealing with yesterday, Distraction only happens right now. Squirrel, right? You just got distracted like me. Distraction can only happen right now. And right now, you have a job, or you don't, but you probably do. And that job is God's will for your life right now. It's where God has you, and God has given it to you. So what are we going to do? Well, if we don't understand that God gave it to us, we're going to complain about our job if we're not happy in it. Or we're going to idolize it if we love it too much. Okay? But if we understand that it's from God, if we're happy, we're going to give thanks. God, thank you for this job. And guess what? Now you're engaging with God, interacting with God, close to God, out in the world. But if you're not happy in your job, but you understand that it's from God, then you can trust that God knows that I'm unhappy. God loves me. And in time, he'll do something. So I'm going to bring my concerns to him, and I'm not going to complain about my boss. And I can complain to my boss. Gripes go up, not down. So I'm going to talk to the Lord, and I'm going to say, Lord, help me to learn what you want me to learn in this job. Help me to be a light to the darkness that is in this job. This is how we keep money and success from becoming a distraction to our relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? All you have to know is that your job is from God. It's from God. God wants you to move beer. Amen? <laughs> At this point, that's what it is. <laughs> All right. He gave you your job. He provided you with all the skills that you need. If it's not great, that's okay. It's still something he carefully decided for you because he loves you. The preacher you just, you, is going to use, ah, I started talking too fast. The preacher is going to use two analogies to prove his point. 
about what it's like to be distracted with money. What it's like for the person who is empty because they are consumed with success. He starts in chapter 6 saying this. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so he lacks nothing for himself and, and all he has all he desires, yet God does not give him the power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity and an evil affliction. All right, so now we're going to get into these, um, these couple analogies. Um, it goes down and says, though it has not seen or not known anything. Uh, in, sorry, I missed my verse there. The first analogy is that he says this. Oh, here we go. He says this. If a man begets a hundred children, so if you have a hundred kids and lives many years, and so that the days of his life are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, or indeed he has no burial. So that's the first uh, illustration or analogy of someone who is empty. He, so just imagine someone who has a crazy amount of kids. So back then, you were as, like me, right? A hundred kids, right? I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, back then... Your success in life was basically judged or determined by how many kids you had. Okay, that, that judged how fruitful you were. So he says, imagine a guy that has 100 kids, but he has no burial. What does that mean? Well, back then, a burial speaks of your legacy, your community, and the people that you affected. They would come together at your burial, and they would have a funeral, and they would celebrate you, and and they would talk about how your life mattered. But this person says, you know what? Someone who's empty and who strives after success, they're like someone who has 100 kids, but when they die, no one cares. No one even goes to the funeral. Isn't that sad? You had 100 kids, and not a single one of them cared. Because all you cared about was success. You really don't want to get distracted by money and success, he's saying. It leaves you empty. The second analogy he gives is this. I say that a stillborn child is better than he, for it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness. So now he does another, a second analogy where he contrasts the state of someone who lives for the wrong things. He says they are like a stillborn child. Their life had no length or depth or meaning. It's the same value. It's the same weight. Someone who lived for success in the world and a stillborn child. That is brutal, right? All right. He says here, though he has seen, not seen the sun nor known anything, this has more rest than that man even if he lives a thousand years twice. So look, he says, even if you're successful and you live 2,000 years, a stillborn child is the same as you. Mm. But has not seen goodness. Do not all go to one place. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his soul is not satisfied. 
For what more has the, man, the wise man than the fool? What do the poor have? Uh, what does the poor man have? Who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Whenever one, whatever one is, it has been named already, for it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. So what he's saying here is God is in control. He gave you your life. He gives you your success if you're successful. He gives you whatever measure of success you get. He gives it to you. Since there are many things that increase vanity, how is man the better? For who knows what is good for a man in life? All the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow, who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? Wow, that is brutal, okay? But this is all, all of that was a description of someone who is consumed with success. He's saying it just doesn't matter, guys. Um, you have wandering eyes when you're consumed with success, right? You always need something more to be satisfied. And this is the difference between someone consumed with success and someone who is occupied with God. When you're consumed with success, your eyes are always looking for something else to satisfy you. When you're consumed with God, occupied with God, you are satisfied. Moment by moment by moment, you have every need met in your heart because that's who he is. He satisfies. He is all that we need. Jesus is. Uh, a, someone who doesn't have God is never satisfied. They're never sure about the future. And this text said they're never willing to trust that God is in control. But when you're consumed with God, you start to get, wait a second, you are in control. I'm starting to see that you're, you're moving in my life. And you've given me my parents and you've given me my kids and you, you've given me my job. And you are actually in control. And furthermore, you are good. You are good. So let's see how Jesus teaches us about the exact same thing in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, he says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? <laughs> He's saying, Bro, you are worried about the wrong things. And I'm not going to let you distract me. You're worried about the wrong things, Jesus says. Many said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness. There's a good word that describes the empty, success-hungry person, covetousness. For one does not, one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Jesus is saying, don't get distracted. Bro, don't get distracted. Your inheritance doesn't matter. If you don't get it, that doesn't matter. Don't get distracted. Then he spoke to him a parable, saying to them, the ground of a certain rich man 
yielded plentifully. Okay? So success. That means God's given him success. And he thought within himself, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns, and I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool or idiot, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So Jesus gives the point of the lesson. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The guy in the parable wasted, he was distracted by money and success. He wasted his time. He wasted his life. He wasted his resources. He thought he was rich, but he was poor spiritually. He doesn't know the true joy of knowing God. He doesn't know the true treasure that you know. He doesn't know. And so he wasted his attention on all these materialistic things. He is restless, he is empty, and he is shallow. But we're not going to be that way. He's, he's kind of dead. He's truly missing out on the life that could have been his. What could have been his? What is, what is the opposite of this empty life? Well, back to our text, Solomon says, he, he gave us the answer. He says, it's when God keeps you busy because it's the joy of your heart. He's the joy of your heart. When we are kept busy with the joy of his heart. That is the opposite of the, the shallow, materialistic, success-hungry life. Is a life that is obsessed with knowing God and, and just talking with him. Having a relationship with him. Knowing him, serving him, hearing from him. God and men are meant to find pleasure in each other's company. Did you know that's why God made you? Was because you make him happy? He truly delights in you? When you give him five minutes of attention, he has butterflies in his stomach. His heart beats faster. And he is intensely zoomed in on you for that entire five minutes. Every time you just go and get alone and you either pick up the word or you just start to talk with your Lord. He is 100% committed, devoted to that connection. He's provided everything for it. He's washed away your sin in his blood and he is inviting you continuously. How about some more? You gave me five minutes, how about, how about ten? Watch what I'll give you. Watch the peace that I will flood into your soul. 
if you give me 10 minutes. If you, if you spend some extended time alone, watch how deep we will go in lovely communion, in deep relationship. He knows our thoughts. He knows our struggles and our pain. And he is begging us, come to me. And this is the opposite of the life that is consumed with success in the world. Do you make money by spending time with God? No. Do you get your chores done by spending time with God? No. Do you do anything productive at all when you're devoting time to God? No. Not really. Not worldly way of thinking. But your soul is fed and your spirit is made alive because you weren't made for work. You were made for God. God and man were made to make each other happy. He is father, we are child. He is bridegroom, we are bride. In whatever way you want to look at it, it's a relationship where we're, not, we're, we're sad when we're not together. We're empty when we're not together. God is there to satisfy you, to complete you, to be all in all for you. And for some crazy, for some crazy reason that I don't really understand, he actually likes us. He actually finds pleasure in us. What a great God we have. His love for us is real, sincere, genuine, authentic. We are, he calls us his portion. He And he is ours. Nothing will ever satisfy us but him. Nothing will ever satisfy him but your heart. Mm. There are two kinds of treasures. This is our ending, closing thing. There are two kinds of treasures. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. Do you ever get the feeling like your heart is just keeps getting let down here on this earth? Your heart just keeps getting damaged. Your heart gets keeps getting stolen. Your heart keeps getting rusted. Jesus says it doesn't need to be that way. There is a way for you to live where your heart is safe. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he says there's two kinds of treasures. Number one, treasure number one, those that are consumed by moth, rust, or stolen. These are the treasures that I earned. Whatever you earn on this earth, Solomon says, and Jesus says, is going to go away. Even if you earn a billion dollars, it's going to go away. Anything we earn goes away. God doesn't want to deal with you on the, the basis of how you earn things. Earning his presence, his approval, doesn't need to be that way. Treasure number two is those which are safe and endure, and these are the treasures that God gave. Do you see the difference? 
I earn it, it goes away. God gives it, it's safe, it endures. And that's why we talk about grace every single day, because grace means God gave. It's a gift, always a gift. Anything sourced in this life by my own efforts, so if I think my job, if I think I'm successful in my job because I'm good at what I'm doing, it's going to pass away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one that feels it when I don't have it anymore. But anything gained by faith will endure. That's the opposite of works. That's the opposite of effort. That's the opposite of being obsessed with success is being obsessed with trusting in God. I'm going, I'm going to believe that you give me my job. I'm going to work hard at my job because I believe you are giving me the strength and I give my glory to you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. What a perfect way to describe someone who is obsessed with success is they are always looking. What's the next thing? What can I do? How can I get ahead? But someone who's consumed with God, they don't need to see what the next step is because they know God holds their steps, holds their life, gives them what they need, and they trust him. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in them. So not only do we walk by faith, we just live by faith. So whether you're walking or just living, it's God says, do it with me. What do we get through faith? What is real success then? Well, we get these treasures, okay? We get the treasure of forgiveness, That's one treasure. You know, we just trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, and he says, boom, you're forgiven. You believe I died on the cross? You are forgiven. No matter what anyone says, no matter what you feel, no matter what the devil says to you, it doesn't matter. You are forgiven, and that's the truth. That's a treasure that we can hold on to. We get the treasure of adoption. You're part of a family. We get the treasure of God's Holy Spirit, He transforms us and speaks God's love and his will into our hearts. We get the treasure of himself. That's the whole thing. A relationship with the one we were created to know. A relationship with the one who completes us. Our spirit mate. Our heavenly bridegroom. That's the treasure we have freely offered to us. And Jesus says you get it by faith, not by faith. Trying hard to get success. It's a free gift. Today, in this world, out in the world, where there's all these distractions of things we could worry about and things we could focus on, we have this access to this treasure that Jesus says is already yours. I've already bought the treasure and it belongs to you. It's got your name right on it. It's yours. How do how 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 do we get it? By simply trusting him, by faith. We have access to his treasure. How close can we be to this treasure? How do I I get my grubby hands on this treasure that he has given me? He has already put it in your hearts. It's already there. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, We have this treasure 
in earthen vessels. That's us, clay pots. God made man out of what? The dirt, clay, right? So we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God says, I love to give you all my promises and all the things I want to give you. I love to give you peace. I love to give you joy. I love to give you all that you need because it glorifies me and my goodness. Not because you deserve it, but because I love giving it. No matter what job you have, no matter what your life looks like, this is the gospel that has been promised to you. Jesus is your treasure. And he's your treasure here in the, in the church, and we're talking about it, and we're all on the same page. God is awesome. And he's talking to us, and he's, he's here with us, and it's great. But as soon as we step out those doors, God says, I'm still here. I'm still with you. And Jesus says, I, I, I am your treasure, and I do not leave you. When you walk out those doors, even with all the distractions that are out there, I'm still with you. Jesus is your treasure. It says in Colossians 1.27, that's the last thing we're going to say. To them, God willed or wanted to make known what are the riches, right, treasure, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's saying the whole thing that we're talking about and the whole treasure God wants to give you is that he wants to put himself inside you. He wants to put himself inside you. He's not satisfied with walking hand in hand with you. He wants to have a unity that is more oneness. He wants a oneness with you, a unified life with you where what you bring to the table is all your brokenness and all your need, and what he brings is all the satisfaction and all the forgiveness and all the love that you need, he brings that, and you mix them all together in a big bowl, and it's your life. But it's complete because of him. Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. We'll end with a Spurgeon quote, okay? Here's our Spurgeon quote. You must keep all earthly treasures out of your heart and let Christ be your treasure and let him have your heart. Does he have your heart today? Have you been worried about other things that, that you don't need to be worried about? Don't lie about it because God already knows what's in your heart. Okay? But what we can do right now is we're going to turn off the lights, we're going to stand up, we're going to sing a couple songs, and we are going to allow, allow the Lord to be our treasure. If other things come into your mind to distract you, say, get out of my mind. I'm focused on Jesus right now. I'm focused on God right now and what he has done for us. So let's, uh, let's uh, pray and we'll sing a couple songs here. Father, I pray that you would... Um, Help us to know that you are good and you are kind and you are worth all of our attention at all moments of every day. And only through that can we be complete in every moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys all stand with me as I'm getting my guitar?